This is episode 73. I'm Cal OES Public Information Officer Sean Boyd. In this episode, Disaster Logistics. Cal OES often responds to the call of duty outside California's borders. When the hurricane came and the request went out through uh, EMAC, um, California was in a position because we had trained personnel that were experienced and capable of doing that. And so we sent our team uh, out to South Carolina, fell in with the South Carolina National Guard. We'll hear the challenges faced by those whose job it is to keep goods and services chugging along and how they found solutions when there didn't seem to be any. From hurricanes to wildfires, the team's skill set was locked and loaded. And then PSPS came to us, and it was really a a significant change in in a couple of key areas for us. Now they saw potential disruptions to a number of lifelines. Large disasters need hundreds, if not thousands, of personnel from all corners of the state and beyond. How do you take care of them all? We had to significantly kick up our game because of the uh, the amount of hotel space that was available in any sort of proximity and, and certainly the level of damage and destruction. While one recovery takes place, an earthquake strikes and they need logistical help. Success requires physical and mental athleticism. There's a lag time when you're starting to move supplies and it takes hours of transportation and so you have to be agile and adaptive and anticipatory, uh, otherwise you're, you're not going to be uh, there when they need it. Disaster Logistics, right now. So joining me today in the studio here at Cal OES headquarters in Mather, California, we have Mitch Medigovich who is a Deputy Director. Specifically for this episode, we're going to be talking about logistics management. Good afternoon, Mitch. Well, thanks, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm uh, excited to have a chance to talk a little bit about some of the great things that we've been doing these last years and in support of uh, some very uh, significant and challenging disasters facing California. Yeah, challenging to say the least. The last couple of years, we have had, I would say, probably record numbers of activations and declarations. So let's talk about some of the more recent activations that you have been involved with. Well, I think it'd be great to to share with everyone uh, some of the exciting work that's been happening and and how we've seen the role here at Cal OES uh, change and the activities that Disaster Logistics directly is supporting uh, during these activations. Off the top of my head, real quick here, what stands out in my mind uh, one of your teams uh, went to South Carolina not too long ago, Hurricane Florence, if I uh, remember correctly. That was a pretty significant event that you folks were directly involved with. I think it was uh, points of distribution for that. Yeah, that was a, a very uh, you know challenging uh, mission. Obviously, a hurricane, uh, it's something that we don't normally face here in California, Uh, But what we have had a tremendous amount of experience in is conducting entire supply chain and movement and support uh, of operations, which included points of distribution and staging areas, and that support in a systematic and methodical and deliberate way to to move uh, commodities and supplies in support of the, uh, the overall operation and response. And when the hurricane came and the request went out through uh, EMAC, um, California was in a position because we had trained personnel that were experienced and capable of doing that. And so we 
sent our team uh, out to South Carolina, fell in with the South Carolina National Guard, which was the lead uh, at their emergency management side uh, there, and immediately began to go to work and establishing uh, sites uh, throughout uh, South Carolina in support of the operation. So pretty significant to be able to to do that with somebody that you have not worked with previously, to respect your operation and the team's abilities. Um, and they just did a, a marvelous job of, of going out there and uh, putting that together and uh, deploying there safely and, and then back in return. So uh, really just exceptional work all the way around and, and, and uh, kudos to uh, all those members that deployed on it. We talked to them when they came back, had a little, uh, actually it's not a little, it was a two-part podcast episode where we sat down with those folks and they kind of regaled us with uh, the, the stories from their deployment. And if anybody's interested, they can go back to oesnews.com or if you're subscribing on iTunes or Google Play, any of those others, it's episode 53 and I believe 52. You can go back and listen to those stories that they had to tell and uh, what their mission encompassed. Talking about the supply chain, you were recently challenged with uh, the public safety power shutoffs, PSPS. How did that impact you folks? I wasn't even aware that there really was much of a supply chain issue, but you say there was. We had a, uh, a lot of experience with the fires that we had here, and we dealt with, you know, prior to this, um, certainly had to deal with evacuations and sheltering operations, um, the direct support of those sheltering operations with uh, our partners at uh, the you know Red Cross and Department of Social Services and um, ensuring that we have uh, the traditional commodities that you're used to uh, there so that you can rapidly put cots and blankets and um, you know uh, comfort kits in a position where people have a place to stay and and uh, when they've been evacuated and we were pretty good at that and these these fires put us in a position where we had, um, markedly improved logistics skills to do that kind of work, um, being able to set up state staging areas where we're moving in uh, these commodities and and also any other support elements that we need to have. And we also set up, had, had set up sheltering for our first responder community like we did up in uh, Paradise and had to do out of Chico and so that uh, we could free up all the hotel space in the area to support uh, the evacuees and those that were unfortunate to lose their uh, their residences. And so this, um, you know, our, our skill set was in, in a pretty good uh, position where we were able to address the whole community of response and, and all hazards on our end. And then PSPS came to us, and it was really a, a significant change in, in a couple of key areas for us. Uh, one was that uh, we knew it was coming, um, and we were working very closely with um, all of the uh, uh, locals that were impacted with us, you know, you had 40 counties that were uh, touched by this event in one way or another. And we had a significant number of, disrupt of disruptions to the power in, in a large number of communities that never had power restored. And so um, you started to see their life on a battery uh, started to uh, dwindle. And then they needed, obviously, generator power to to augment this. And so some of the areas that, for example, that most people are unaware of is you take uh, your railroad crossing arms, for example. In many cases, battery, uh, they're prime powered and with a battery backup uh, to them and they'll operate. And once those start to fail, 
um, the rail community has to turn around and slow those uh, trains, obviously clear both sides, monitor it when they're crossing an area, and then turn around and accelerate and go to the next spot. So you talk about a significant disruption to the speed of which our traditional rail providers can can run up and down the state. So, of course, they immediately brought in hundreds of generators to try to start augmenting their sites so they can continue operation with with minimal disruption. Now, you make that sound so easy. Oh, they brought in hundreds, a couple of hundred generators. It's not that easy, is it? You've got to find them, first of all. You're you're absolutely right. Generators were in a, <laughs> a, a, a scarce commodity. We started calling them unicorns because they were so <laughs> difficult to find. And everybody who's in, in, in private industry um, or local government was acquiring generators uh, as soon as the power shutoffs began because they were trying to mitigate the issues they had. It was great planning on their part, um, but as we started to see other issues that took place, um, others were starting to bring generators in, and in many cases, generators are having to come in from out of state, and so there's a, a delay there. Um, you started to see that on the cellular networks as well. Hmm. So you had areas where cell towers, uh, there's only a limited amount of time they have for backup, and they started to uh, drop off, and, and at one point, you know, we had over 800 cell sites that were down uh, because there was just no you know power to to push those signals you know for right. them, and you know that you know once again they were reaching out grabbing as many generators as possible for these sites that were there. Uh, Marin County at one point was you know fifty seven percent of their cellular structure was down. Wow! So a very significant impact within um, their area. Landline customers, if you're a traditional landline customer who uh, bundles their their mm. products, where you have internet and television, as well as your um, cable, you know, for, for all items. And we had uh, close to a half million customers that were without landline service. So if you were in an area that had lost their cellular and lost your landline, getting in touch with you was extremely difficult. So if we had a, a, an event where you had to evacuate, um, how are we going to reach you? You know, we do this integrated public alert warning system mm-hmm. that we rely on our broadcasters, we rely on our cable providers, we rely on our, our cellular communications, we rely on many of the uh, reverse 911 systems that are out there. But if you can't receive a call, either on the landline or on the cell, and you're not going to get it from your television because it's bundled, um, you are effectively um, without communication and, and the local police and fire will have to come up with an alternate method to reach you um, to tell you to evacuate if there was a, a challenge there. For sure. Carrier pigeons are not in the picture anymore. <laughs> no, wow. they're not. <laughs> Smoke signals either. You know, there's not a whole lot more you can do. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. On the way, Cal OES Deputy Director Mitch Medigovich will talk about the support required for the hundreds, even thousands of response and recovery personnel following the devastating campfire in Paradise, California. We had to significantly kick up our game because of the, uh, the amount of hotel space that was available in any sort of proximity and, and certainly the level of damage and destruction. Then, the athleticism needed in the field of disaster logistics. There's a lag time when you're starting to move supplies. You know, it takes hours of transportation, and so you have to be agile and adaptive and anticipatory. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're not going to be uh, there when they need it. Back to our conversation with Mitch Medigovich as he gets deeper into how the PSPS event last October began to have trickle-down effects potentially triggering an economic disaster. 
another area that was significant for us is we started to see areas where the pipelines were impacted with the ability to move fuel um, are in these the pipeline. above ground or below ground? They are above ground okay. and moving fuel uh, where it's moved uh, throughout and it goes to its retail sites. And so we had one particular pipeline that was um, significantly impacted that you know pushes and it pushes it not only in California, but into Nevada. And so um, potential disrupt a significant amount of commerce if they can't restore that pipeline and, and get it operational running. Uh, some areas where crude is produced, it's moved to a refinery. And if that, you know, uh, these second and third order effects to how that was going to just, we we're fortunate that, um, you know, the power was restored in a way that we had sufficient um, inventory in, in hand uh, to work that. But there were many areas where, you know, that inventory level dramatically went down uh, because of the loss of power and, and that impact across the board. So you and your team are working to uh, solve all of these problems how many do you have working together to help you with these during these activations to find these generators, for example? Well, we're, we're fortunate to have uh, whole of government support uh, in this. And so, um, you know, at the local, it starts at the local level and, and they were um, already on the spot uh, coordinating for generators wherever they could solve it themselves. Um, they would reach up to, uh, to Cal OES when they uh, could not solve that. And then we use both our internal resources and our partner agencies, particularly the Department of General Services, mm. who immediately comes in and starts canvassing with us and, and start looking for providers and suppliers uh, to meet the generator needs. This isn't, some cases, this is not finding a generator to support uh, like you would for your house. Um, you're talking about having to find a generator capable of working a sanitation you know, system or a water system uh, that is down. Many of these generators that are out in the field that... Uh, that folks have already, or if they have existing ones, weren't designed to be run for six days straight. They're designed to, you know, cover a short-term power interruption, and they do a very good job of that. Um, but at some point, they need uh, backup, or they're going to have maintenance problems themselves. And certainly, um, um, everybody was dealing with uh, refueling challenges and maintenance uh, on the existing generators that they had. You mentioned earlier the base camps, um, especially the one. Uh, that I'm familiar with, the one up there in uh, Paradise. Uh, or actually, it was in Chico, though, technically, wasn't it? It right, was. Right along the airport, on the outskirts of the airport there? Yeah, they, those airports are really uh, great places for us. They tend to be flat and good access yeah. and uh, good partners. Well, I got to tell you, it was impressive. That was the first time I'd ever seen a base camp like that. I've been with Cal OES about five and a half years, and I this was my first experience with a base camp. And it was a city. It was a city in and among itself. And it had all of the necessary, I'm not going to say comforts, but it, it, I guess by comparison, if you had to sleep in a tent, there was, uh, by yourself, there, there were comforts, but you had everything you needed. Everything was self-contained. You had uh, very nice uh, climate controlled uh, sleeping quarters. You had, you know, your washing areas, you had uh, laundry facilities, which amazed me. These 18 wheeler trucks that come in and you open up the back and look, it's full of washing machines and dryers. It's those things that keep the crews and the teams moving and doing their best work, really, to help in the response and recovery efforts. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it was uh, quite the challenge. Uh, we had a, a smaller base camp that we'd established in Lake County uh, previously for uh, one of the fires uh, there. And uh, moving uh, into this event, we had to significantly kick up our game 
because of the, uh, the amount of hotel space uh, that was available in any sort of proximity and, and certainly the level of damage and destruction right. uh, required it. So yeah, we started with, uh, we did start with tents and that was the initial push. And then uh, we just continue to improve our our position there and, and make it uh, a little more reasonable. It's a, a unique place for those that are not used to um, sleeping uh, next to uh, somebody else in a cot and that sharing of uh, of space. Um, but uh, you know, for for most of our responder community, they're they are aware that's part of the the job, and they uh, they did it very very well. But uh, we had uh, federal, state, county, some NGOs, and just about everything in between working out of the area and um, supporting that and doing it safely and cooperating together. Well, they're doing it safely too because they're getting the rest. They're getting the sustenance. They're getting everything they need to be refreshed and get out there before the sun comes up. It was, uh, like I said, it was an experience for me. I was there for five days utilizing that uh, base camp. And uh, all I can say is I'm, I'm glad it was there. Otherwise, I probably would have been sleeping on a tent on the cold, hard ground with rocks underneath me and who knows what. But during that event, if folks don't know or if they don't remember, the uh, response and recovery teams had to leave the hotels open for those who were evacuated, as it should be. So uh, you're kind of left up to your own devices. Logistics here at Cal OES stepped up big time. Be sure to check out oesnews.com and this posting because I'm going to include some photos that I took of the base camp and it's pretty impressive. You'll see what I mean. Back to our chat with Mitch in just a moment. Once a disaster strikes, a race begins. The race to get critical life-saving supplies to the area hit and it's a race against the clock. There's a lag time when you're starting to move supplies you know, that takes hours of transportation. And so you have to be agile and adaptive and anticipatory. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're not going to be uh, there when they need it. There's a lot to consider, to plan for, and coordinate. And disasters don't care what day it is or whether you're on vacation, like with the Ridgecrest earthquake, which struck on July 4th. Logistics is, is a big umbrella term. You have a lot going on with regard to logistics, but enlighten us a little bit more about some of the more recent uh, activations that your team had to work on. Enlighten us. Sure. So, you know, we pride ourselves in, in ensuring that we're not late to need. Um, and that is a, that is a challenge um, for it. And so, you know, the, some of the recent ones, obviously, uh, uh, 4th of July weekend, uh, Ridgecrest earthquake uh, was a, an exciting time. Um, we were immediately uh, recovering our staff and flying them down to Southern California and moving into a cache of supplies that we keep in that area to support uh, just such events and coordinating the transportation issues to bring uh, tractors and trailers in there to move that cache into Ridgecrest um, in the middle of a um, what is supposed to be a, an enjoyable barbecue weekend. Uh, and finding uh, the necessary support to get there early, not knowing what the damage was going to be and not knowing what the uh, um, needs were going to be and how bad the aftershocks were going to be in that area. And so uh, we start moving, um, you know, cots, blankets, uh, comfort kits, uh, which includes like pillows and mm -hmm. basic necessities, um, and pre-positioning them uh, right away uh, there in the local area. We're fortunate to not have to um, need as much of our cash to support that. The county was certainly had a, their own supplies mm -hmm. that they were moving in. 
but uh, it is one of those situations where we just want to make sure that we're in direct support and are in a position that we're not, um, you know, waiting at the last second for somebody to ask us because there's a lag time when you're starting to move supplies. You know, that takes hours of transportation, and so you have to be agile and adaptive and anticipatory. Uh, otherwise, you'll you'll just you're not going to be uh, there when they need it. There's that term that we use, pivot. Uh, that's one of those situations where you really do need to be able to pivot. But I have a question about how do you even begin? Because like you said, you're not sure what the extent of damage is. You don't know what the need is going to be. So do you have a playbook or something that if if it reaches you know within the first three hours, you know that you need to at least start with this, and then maybe the next nine hours you work with this, how do you go about determining at least when you don't have a lot of information, what to provide? It's a great question. I'll tell you, they, you have to be uh, able to scale uh, for what your response is. This requires you know, everybody to be on the right playbook and be moving forward in terms of being able to, to know what the basic necessities are that we need to be able to provide. And Calois does that, and not just in, in logistics, but also in, in the other uh, specialties. And so when we're establishing liaison and making contact right away, determining what sites we're going to go to. Um, we try to work with each of the counties in advance. Uh, and so that it's you're not training business cards on the day of the event. You want to be able to know uh, where we're going, what's the area that we want to occupy, and have already surveyed that area to know the limitations of the sites that we're going to go to. And this part of our background that we have before we even have an event. So when that event comes, we know that there may be multiple sites in a county that we can go to, and we'll turn around and immediately um, make that contact and say, you know, we're starting to roll, spool up, get the necessary personnel together, um, and that includes, you know, communication, that includes security, that includes the commodities themselves, uh, coordinating with our federal partners so they know what we're moving. We need to reach back to them. They need to know. They want to know early on uh, if we're spooling up and what we're sending to the site. So if if the county is supporting. If the city, county, and you know, state are already moving in that direction, um, it just allows us to be much more agile uh, as the situation develops. And then, as it continues to grow, we're immediately reaching back and moving more resources to the to the fight. Obviously, communication very important. Then you have to have that interoperability and that ability to communicate across uh, every agency at every level, making sure that everybody's in, involved and is up to date. Uh, logistics actually has the communications uh, branch. And so our uh, tactical communications team have been very agile. They'll move out and they'll put uh, some uh, satellite communications in areas where we know we're challenged right away. Um, gives us an additional footprint and, and eyes on the ground and our ability to communicate back. And uh, that has uh, been absolutely uh, um, a godsend to have that sort of capacity. And then, of course, we also do the same support we do to the locals when, uh, whenever they need it. I'm exhausted just listening to uh, all of the things that you've had to tackle, really, in just the last, what, year? You really? Know, if you go back to the campfire? I, uh, well, it's, uh, it's been a very busy, uh, I would say the last four years have been okay, exceptionally busy. Sure. Um, we've just had a lot of uh, unique um, and challenging events, and that's forced us to you know, really be on top of our game. Uh, you cannot be uh, relaxed and just uh, sit back and not be leaning forward. And so this is, uh, when you look at um, 
Paradise, you look at uh, Santa Rosa and the fires there, you look at Lake County and the fires there, you look at Ventura and fires there, and then the mudslides, you look at the Orville Dam, you look at the Ridgecrest earthquake, you look at all of these events and, and PSPS uh, <laughs> here just recently or last month, you, you look at these events and they are constantly keep you on your toes and, and force everybody to be the best that they possibly can be uh, when you're supporting the operation. Well, kudos to your team and uh, and your leadership. Um, I, I got to say, uh, you know, it's the team effort. It is that, you know, Mark Iladucci, our director, likes to say one team, one fight. And it is a big team. And you have to behave like a team or else things don't get done. And uh, you guys get it done. Is there anything else you'd like to mention before we wrap this up? I would just simply say that, uh, knock on wood, we'll have a very uh, quiet um, holiday period uh, this year, and hopefully everybody can enjoy um, a little peace and tranquility for the season. Well, I don't know if this is real wood, this table here, but if you want, uh, we could <laughs> knock on it together here. Let's yeah. go to one, two, three. There you go. I mean, that's about as close as we can get. Mitch Medigovich, thank you so much for being here, uh, Deputy Director of Logistics Management, and a lot more words that come after his title, and just keep on going. He's in charge of a lot of different areas, and uh, we're going to get back together here soon, hopefully, and talk a little bit more about the exciting things that are coming up with 911 and some other things, and uh, I can't wait to talk about that. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, my thanks to Mitch for sitting down with us. There's a lot in the pipeline for his team, so... We're going to sit down again and chat with him very soon to get an update on some very important technological leaps that are being taken with the 911 system. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Hey, if you like listening to All Hazards and haven't subscribed yet, please do so at the place you get your podcasts. We thank you in advance. And of course, help spread the word about All Hazards. If you like it, share it. The more people who know about us, the better, right? All right, for everyone here at the Cal OES Office of Public Information, we thank you. I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.